This podcast episode was brought to you by Humanities Guahan, National Endowment of the Humanities, and the Federal CARES Act Grant. Half a day. Tiro, Yakwe, Mogetin, Raninim, Lenwol, Kasselelie, Ali, and hello. And thank you for tuning in. Welcome to One Canoe Podcast, brought to you by Micronesia Climate Change Alliance. On this platform, we will be discussing our climate justice work and community projects that help us navigate into a more just, sustainable, and culturally rooted future. We are many islands, many voices, on this one canoe. Hello, I am Christian, your host for episode one, and today we'll be providing a behind-the-scenes look at our digital storytelling. This is our very first episode, and we will be talking to the cast and crew from From Our Nanas for Our Nannies, a web series we created that took a deep dive into food sovereignty and the waste streams within Micronesia. If you haven't watched it yet, stay tuned to learn more, or you can check out our YouTube. Links can be found in our social media bios. You can find us on YouTube at at Micronesia Climate Change Alliance or on Instagram at Micronesia Climate Alliance. So why did you guys decide to start this podcast? Here at MCCA, we wanted to spark deeper conversations around the climate crisis and its impact on our islands. We also wanted to bring in more voices and connect people with the local and global climate justice movement and also capture on the grassroots movement and the solutions for sustainability in motion. The platform for a podcast also really lends itself to having more broad discussions and foster understandings that a single post on a social media Mm -hmm. can't do. So really having a deeper way for us to have conversations and engage with our audience and with people who are creating sustainability and creating this climate justice movement is really important to our organization and to share with you all. So as as Pacific Islanders and as children of Micronesia, it's really important for all of us to remember that we all arrived here from the heritage and as descendants of these amazing navigators, these amazing seafarers who journeyed thousands of miles out in the unknown. They, They were definitely brave and innovative and carried so much trust in one another on these journeys and carried so much just cooperation and collaboration and community as they made these journeys out into the unknown to populate and people our islands. So as, so bringing back that wisdom that was important in the settlement of our islands as well as the survival of our, of our peoplehood well until today, um, it's a great reminder for us as descendants of Micronesia and as future ancestors to be all the more connected to that heritage and all the more connected to the ocean and how it connects us to all the other islands as well. So Kami and Francesca, you guys have both been digital creators long before joining MCCA. What knowledge and experience did you both bring into this project? Uh, This is Francesca. So I started doing just my own social media and storytelling on my own personal Instagram platform as a way to share what I was learning about sustainability, about my indigenous culture, and even things like as far as spirituality goes. And I had kind of honed my voice there before I had jumped onto any other media projects, but communication projects were always really 
I was always happy to do them. And I started working with MCCA on different things, not digital media creation. I did a keynote speech with OCAP, which was Ocean Climate Action Policy, on behalf of MCCA and Airs to Our Oceans last year, where I really talked a lot about One Canoe, which is really full circle moment for me to start this podcast around that whole concept that I had created this whole speech around. Um, but I really came in with a learning curve when it comes to digital storytelling through the format of video on the production side. I had done uh, speaking engaged, like speaking things, um, hosting things, and uh, guiding other video crews around Guam and teaching them about my culture. And that was really my background in this kind of work. So I really have to give it to my co-host, Cami, for all her behind the scenes expertise, which she will tell you about right now. <laughs> I always blush when you give me like little props because I really feel that if it wasn't for Francesca, I literally wouldn't even be here. I remember it was a full year ago where I got the DM and she was like, hey, I have this project. I don't know where it's gonna go and I honestly don't know where funding is gonna be or, or how long it's gonna take, but you're the first person I thought of and that's really what brought me onto this this project for from our nanas for our nannies. And so I would say I'm the complete opposite of chess when it comes to what I bring. I feel like I bring the more technical digital side and what, what I was looking for in all my past projects that I worked on before I came into N MCCA um, was tying it into the community and really giving back to my island. And through MCCA, I've really been able to find purpose and my why and how I've been able to, you know, apply the, the, the knowledge in digital creation and content creation that I've, I've learned through other people um, in order to really give back to the community because I always felt that that was what I was lacking and that's something that I've always wanted to do. And I'm really glad and, I, and through the year, I think it's been a crazy year for all of us and just seeing how season one and season two has been so different just with the inclusion of Christian, our mighty project coordinator, <laughs> like the teamwork and the ability to collaborate together was something that I haven't experienced outside and I really appreciate when coming into this project. So for everyone tuning in that haven't watched our web series yet and is wondering, you know, how we got the name from our nanas for our nannies, can you please share on that title and how you guys came up with it? So the title From Our Nanas For Our Nannies didn't come about before we began the project. Like we were trying to tell the story of food sovereignty at the beginning of the pandemic because that was something that was becoming more prevalent in our islands, seeing um, you know the food shortages, the food lines for all of this imported food. And we saw what Guahan Sustainable Cultures was doing, connecting local farmers who had lost the market of the tourist industry, the restaurant industry, all at the same time. Um, Guahan Sustainable Cultures went out of their way to connect all of these farmers to community members who were willing and able to donate food to other people in need and support farmers at the same time. So we saw this beautiful community effort to use food sovereign ideas um, to, to connect our people back to our local food systems and our um, local economy at the same time. So food sovereignty really touches on all of those things. And for us, we thought the overarching theme that we could tell, not only through the story of food sovereignty, but all the other um, 
climate justice issues that we could possibly tell in the future using this video series format was really about connecting our ancestral wisdom, learning about it now, contextualizing it in the present, and teaching it to the children because it's really for the benefit of the future generations that we learn the, the wisdom of our ancestors and apply it for the future generations. Um, yeah, so nanas in Chamorro means mothers and grandmothers, and nennies means babies. So we were really doing this work to take the wisdom from our, mo our mothers, our, our ancestral wisdom, and passing it on to the nennies so that we can create a better future for them. And we like to call it Fon Fon. Yeah. <laughs> for short, we call it Fon Fon because it's cute. Um, <laughs> and that's really like an inside thing. <laughs> but yeah, my sister Maneka came up with that name and like it really speaks so much to our ethos as digital storytellers, as climate justice workers. Um, and it connects all of these different themes and it. it's just beautiful to think about, you know? Like that's how it, what our work is rooted in and our storytelling is rooted in. And so both of you guys utilize your platforms to raise awareness on environmental issues. What do you think is most important of digital activism in the world we are living in today? Do you want me to answer that? Yeah, you can answer okay. first and I'll just add on. Um, okay. So yeah, still Francesca. <laughs> but uh, I've used my platform to spread awareness and also just to share what I was learning. I really feel like digital activism can take so many different forms, many different shapes, and can really activate a lot of people, and it has the power to spread a message far and wide. I um, And it also has the power to connect people into different movements. And honestly, Michelle, who founded MCCA, used her digital platform uh, initially. Like when she started MCCA, she was very on it about posting about environmental awareness, about things that were happening in the community, and she used it to reach out to me. That's how I met Michelle, was through our Instagram DMs. And she also reached out to Maneka that way. And it has the power to connect people, and once people get connected, that's when the magic really happens. It's like, it's not really about how many numbers on the screen are impacted by what you do. It really, at the end of the day, can create these powerful person-to-person -person connections, and that is like the ultimate end goal of digital activism, at least for me, like the personal connections that I've made online um, and the work that I've been able to do since sharing my story and sharing what I value um, and sharing not just what I value and it's not, you know, like activism can also be a fad and it can also just be a thing that you use to show other people. But for me, it's about the personal connections that can come out of just being able to connect this way. Like, we're so privileged to live in this time where we can see so much about someone that you never even met and feel connected to them because of how they tell their story. Um, and I'm just really grateful that it's been able, this my Instagram page that I started just to express what I loved about Guahan, because I started it really like sharing a lot when I moved home and I was really inspired by uh, nature and the environment and also the activism movement happening at the time. like. I fully fell into that world in, in this frame mind of like joy as resistance and awareness as resistance and um, and not just resist resistance is like a, its own word but like creation through storytelling. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me the number one outcome of using digital activism is those interpersonal connections and I'm really grateful to Michelle for reaching out to me 
on that platform. And I'm grateful that Cami accepted my reaching out to her <laughs> through my platform. And it really has connected all of us in this space in such a wonderful way. Like we all became good friends too. So yeah, I think that is an, uh, another side of activism. It's community building through this digital space. And for me, I think one of the things that I was really impressed by with MCCA and I'm really grateful for was their efforts to be more accessible to children of all age groups and even to older people who are, you know, really trying to get their foot in the door with um, this sustainable lifestyle and, you know, climate justice in general. Um, I think that we often forget what place we were at when we were all sitting in the office thinking about how are we going to do this project. To give context, we were knee deep in the middle of the pandemic. I believe the pandemic just started, right? And I think that without digital media, without social media, without YouTube, without Instagram, we really wouldn't have the opportunity to push this project forward and to eventually get it to traditional media, which is which was KYM um, for our second season. And so I'm just really grateful that we have touched enough people um, to get our um, agenda forward and to get our project moving forward and we couldn't have done it without social media. So season one of Fun Fun was about food sovereignty and season two we dove into the waste stream within our region. So how did the second season of Fun Fun differ from the first with planning, filming, and the overall process of the project? So season one of Fun Fun was our first trial run. Like we didn't have, it was our first time working together, all of us, on a project this big. Uh, the funding that we had and the grant that we had applied for wasn't so specific, so we had a different set of plans for our execution and our rollout and our timeline and our production behind the scenes. Everything was, we were figuring it out on the fly. And it was mostly um, a smaller team. So by the second season, we had realized, me and Cami realized that we needed a little bit more help and we're very, very grateful that Michelle took a bigger role. Christian came on for the first time and like really, really helped us with pre-production. So we had more time. We had um, Guahan Humanities Council on our side helping us write this grant, understand exactly what our storytelling lens was going to be, how we were going to include the humanities angle, how we were going to include a more journalistic approach and come up with a more polished, finished product than the first season. And that's what I was excited about, was the growth that we were going to be able to show. Um, and we were also able to, thanks to the help of Christian and Michelle, coordinate a lot more people to participate and help us lend their expertise and their voices uh, to this story of our waste stream because, you know, like it, it helped give a lot more credibility and a lot more solid information for our community from the people on the ground who are really in touch with this issue. And I hope that this second series, the second season, sorry, um, really conveys all of those things because the subject matter was so broad <laughs> and so dense. Mm -hmm. And using that humanities angle, including more voices and people and their experiences and looking at our community issues and our history behind this issue, we really, I hope we came to a more holistic and uh, humanitarian angle. I think I'd be remiss too without mentioning like 
we really wanted to include our brothers and sisters in Micronesia like more in this second season. Uh, Manyaka was really helpful in getting um, Elizabeth Balahaja um, to interview with us. And we even had Francesca's friend Matt uh, with Green Banana Paper and Olilai Chilton from Palau with Heirs to Our Oceans. Um, to give us their knowledge and expertise on how waste streams in their respective islands are as well. So um, we've always kind of talked about, you know, opening up the conversation to other islands in Micronesia, and we really had the opportunity now that Zoom was being utilized more and Google Meets. Um, it was it was a lot easier to get people to schedule in time with us too because people were home. Um, so I was going into the first project, kind of like opening my eyes for the first time on what food sovereignty looked like on Guam. But season two, I think after going through that process of what production was looking like, and then kind of having a better idea of what we wanted people to gain from the series, production was so much smoother. We had more tools. We had a longer writing process to really flesh out like what we wanted to get across and again gonna shout out christian because that was really our saving grace for the second series and i think we took more of a like what would you compare it to like vice box approach yeah. like a very journalistic we took a much more like we took a much more like less personal vlog style approach and we tried to try a different we tried to convey a different tone of messaging that was a little bit more serious. It was really valuable to include all of those different perspectives and we're so grateful to every single person who lent us their time and shared with us their stories. It made this whole series a lot richer and a more of a reflection of our region. Yeah, so like you guys mentioned, for season two, I was lucky enough to help out with the logistics and gathering interviewees within the topic of waste management. While filming this whole series, we interviewed over 30 people. How did you guys prioritize how did you guys prioritize what would be the most important aspects to add into the web series? That's you, screenwriter. <laughs> oh, oh, I guess, yeah. Um, so yeah, I really helped with the screenwriting, um, both for the first season and the second season. And by the second season, I had realized that because also the pandemic was kind of easing up a little bit more, how much more impactful the story would be if we got more people involved to talk about their individual story. We learned that through the first season because our episode that gained the most popularity was really a feature of one young farmer in Inarahan and so many people loved his story and it was amazing to meet him and his family and learn about what, what their life was like and to be able to show that in our series. And so we knew that getting more people on board who were the people who lived these industries and, and this, this waste issue who were tackling this from the ground were the ones that we really wanted to highlight. So I'm really grateful to everybody who decided to you know, indulge us in interviewing them for 30 minutes to an hour and a half and just talk story with us and share their perspective. Like that was so generous of everybody who decided to take part in this series. And I'm very grateful to Manyaka and our contacts at um, UOG and our contacts at like Peggy Denny also connected us to so many people within the waste industry and and everybody as well who we interviewed we kind of were also asking them like who else will be important to tell this story and they all were very very open about sharing who in our communities would be qualified and excited to talk about these things like 
we were able to create this whole community as we did this interview process. And deciding who it would be was really just, we just, it all kind of snowballed and, and everybody kind of branched out to each other and it, it grew really organically, that, that um, interview base that we found. Um, and to decide what was the most important thing kind of happened at the very end. So we created, we, we spent a lot of time, a couple months gathering the interviews and then deciding what would be the most important to incorporate happened after we literally transcribed word for word every single interview. Every single one of us in the office spent hours on our own and together talking story and listening to these interviews, writing down every single word. And then I was able to, after all of that work, like think I'm so grateful for that, it really helped just copy and paste exactly what was important, what was pertinent, and what would flow in the story. So that's how we decided what was important to use. But I also know that each individual interview, there was so much information that we couldn't fit in the series. So, you know, if, if you're listening to this, if you would like to learn more from specific people that we have interviewed, like, we can release the full interview in its whole, and I think that could be interesting. You know, like, each of these people are so knowledgeable in their areas of expertise. And it kind of felt bad to not include everything that they incorporated, but it would have been like a 19-hour <laughs> project if we did that. So, yeah, it was really hard to decide what was important, but we just knew um, that we had a flow of what we wanted to share and what was important for our community to know. And that's how we ended up editing it all down. And, you know, that was that was Cami too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a huge team effort to get all of those interviews and then decide what was important. I think with what Francesca said about transcribing all of that information and then seeing literally, I think it was almost three full days of, of like going through every single frame and making sure like the audio was good with the video and then seeing what we could use, what we couldn't use. After basically cutting down all of that video information, it was so much more easy to create a story that was visually compelling. I think the first season, the vlog content was awesome. And still looking back, like, I'm so grateful for that time that we had to just, like, prop up a camera and just, like, record ourselves compared to the work that we put in this time around. We were, like, we had the gimbal. We had, like, two cameras going at one time and, like, a a five-person team going to one shoot, like, the energy was different on set, too. So that even kind of translated into the series. We were able to have everybody in the team, like, have a have a, a shot of themselves in the series in one way or another. And um, it also created conversation while we were editing, and in that editing process, we were able to talk about the shocking things that we saw. And so... For example, for me, one of the most shocking things that I saw was I didn't realize how much of the recycled waste that we've collected doesn't actually get recycled. And so to see it all like in piles in front of you and then to see it like at the transfer station being dumped off the side of a, a an awning into like multiple trucks being transported out, like you don't see that every single day. And so to see it in front of you is something so different. I think the experiences of touring both the Ordot Dump and the Ladson Landfill were shocking. And I feel like everybody on, who lives on the, our islands should go and see and experience firsthand where our trash ends up. And I, it's unimaginable 
the volume of trash that we dump every single day just on Guam. 600,000 pounds of trash goes to the landfill every single day. That's equivalent to how many 40-foot pickup trucks or dump trucks? Um, 10 40-foot dump trucks. I, and honestly, that's, that might be off, but just imagine what 600,000 pounds looks like. I can't even. Like, it's crazy. And when you realize that these dumps used to be holes in the ground and you see that they're mountains now and you see and you find out how much that costs and how long we'll be paying that off, like the children who never touch the trash that is in the dump now will be paying for it into their adulthood. And oh yeah, so 600,000 pounds is about 200 cars going into the landfill every single day. Like I don't even know what parking lot that looks like. That's a whole dealership, you know? Um, and the volume of trash that we produce per person is what adds up to that amount. And that's not even including what gets illegally dumped. So like our consumption problem and, and our space that we have to send it to, like it, we, we have finite space and we have finite resources. And when you realize the volume of things that we just throw away that could be recycled, that could be reused, that could be made out of things that are biodegradable, like it's just, it's an unacceptable fact of life. And it really motivates you when you realize that impact firsthand and you see it to do something different. And I really hope that we conveyed that in the video. But if it didn't, I really, really encourage people to go and see it for themselves. Yeah, so a part of like helping out with the interviews, I was also like their side cameraman. So I would go with them to like all of their spots for filming. And I was like, also surprised. Like in, I never knew what a landfill was. And it's just pretty much they're just burying all of the trash. And it was kind of sad to see, especially because like the view, it was like really beautiful. I wish I was a piece of that trash because like <laughs> they can see the ocean and everything. <laughs> But yeah, so how do you guys think waste is disrupting indigenous value systems within our region? I think that it's disrupting indigenous value systems and that we've moved away from creating the things that we need and engaging in our environment to have the materials that we need to survive kind of just changed completely. There was a time not even that long ago that everything we had, we either caught, made, or we bartered for. and that inherent system of reverence for our environment, knowing where things come from, knowing how they're made, it brought more value to the materials that we used every day because you knew how much time went into creating it. You wouldn't be so quick to just buy, throw away, and buy, throw away, and buy again. And that's really like the system that we've come into now is we buy everything and we don't even think twice about getting rid of it. Like our value of material goods is so high and so low at the same time. Like we spend all of our money to gather these material things and then we just throw things away. It's, it, our value systems have changed in that way. And I, um, I think a huge solution is to go back to using the materials in our environment, having value in the time it takes to create things and and um, knowing that nature has a cyclical way of dealing with trash. There is no such thing as just trash that's unusable. Everything that is biodegradable is valuable to something else in the environment. And everything is in a closed loop system. So a circular system is something that would reflect our indigenous values again. And, it, and it's the remembering for us to go back to those indigenous values rather than like creating something out of thin air. And these systems that we've adopted now don't reflect our values 
um, as indigenous people and we have to be cognizant of that and then use our value system to upend them and change them back. Sorry if you can hear snoring, that is out the office. What is she? In what kind of dog is Susie? She's a American dog. Yeah, that's our office, our mascot, our mascot Susie. She is um, a sleepy American bulldog. <laughs> and she's real cute, but you can probably hear her in the background. <laughs> do you, do you want to add to that? Yeah, do you want to add to that? Yeah, this is Manyaka. As far as the idea of waste uh, disrupting indigenous value systems, I definitely think, you know, the cash economy and consumerism has changed the entire world. And for us out here in the islands where we only have such small space to put waste, to, to, to store our waste, we only have such small space to, and we don't even remember that everything that's bought, brought in either by the ships or the airplanes stays here. And to not be cognizant of what we're creating and just to use like a straw or a cup for a few minutes and then throw it away, that's definitely not something that has helps sustain us for thousands of years. And it definitely is something that's harming the future well into the next thousand years, because that's how long plastic takes to break down. So just having a bigger, having that consciousness and an understanding of your impact beyond your lifetime is definitely has been disrupted because we're so very much now, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, immediate, we want immediate gratification for things, either through social media or through the accumulation of things. Like that, that immediate gratification is something that has definitely been adopted in the last few generations. It's not something that is um, embedded in our, in our cultures at all. And just to add to that, while filming this season, you know, I would go to a lot of parties and, you know, I would just notice all of the trash. Because culturally, you know, as a half Chamorro, half Filipino, we have parties for everything, you know, babies born, first birthday, graduation, or anything you could think of. And each of these parties has like 10 plus bags of trash. So it's like really eye-opening in that way that, you know, we're such, you know, celebratory people and we you know, kind of like the easy way out in preparing for parties where we just buy like plastic spoons and forks, plates, and that times a party every week just adds up. So moving on, how does transitioning to a zero waste future relate to indigenous sovereignty? I think the idea of what we have here on our island and on our islands in the Marianas, in Micronesia, throughout the Pacific, I think shifting that mindset from we need to import to what we have here and the resources that we have here, the, the beautiful minds and the educated peoples that go off and, and find these solutions and bring them back home. Like we have these resources here. We have these minds here. We have everything we need and we just need to apply it. Um, I think there's an empowerment in that in our peoples there's there's a sense of strength and there's a sense of unity and i think that a zero waste future is on the way if we keep applying those things within our communities and the truth is is like those things start um when you look towards grassroots organizations when you look towards places like green banana paper who are employing people on the island and using resources that are 
very easily accessible on the island. You can see it with our own initiative, like Precious Plastics, you know, getting the community involved and finding a way to reuse materials that we are able to create into new things that can promote the island with our Guam seal magnets, with our plant pots, and other things. But I think just recognizing that what we have here is more than enough and empowering ourselves in, in believing that and, and working together. Obviously, it's easier said than done, but I think the mindset change is the first thing. Yeah, and just to connect that back to indigenous sovereignty itself, indigenous sovereignty means to have self-governance, self-control, and to be motivated and take part in shaping your future yourself. Um, I think that we have all of the values that we need. We have all the ingenuity that we need and wisdom that we need in our cultures just inherently. And even if it's not found in a grassroots organization, it's probably in your family. Mm -hmm. um, all of these techniques like using banana leaf for plates, using your hands to eat, using um, all of our resources that we have, like reconnecting to our resources, our land, our ancestors, our elders, um, that is how we shape our indigenous sovereignty because it has to be rooted in our value systems. It has to be rooted in what we have. And like Kami said, it's enough. And reminding ourselves that we have to value those things, we have to value these practices in order for them to live on. Like that is, that is our role as the bridge between our nanas and our nannies. I would just want to add too, I think like just this idea of education through the Fon Fon web series and also just give a big shout out to Jasmine uh, Flores Cantrell of Numatlu for all of her wonderful tips and tricks on all things zero waste that was embedded throughout the entire second season it was a beautiful way that everyone at home can start on this like low waste zero waste journey. And it was really about, you know, informing people, giving people the information and the education and the background on why it's important for us to be more mindful in our consumption and then giving them actionable items that they could do on their own. And really want to yeah, just shout out um, Jasmine and really excited about that next project that we have as MCCA to build off of this uh, web series and give people more opportunities to be buying local to be buying things that are zero waste and to be a part of this very big need in our communities and in our islands to curb how much trash we're sending every day to the landfills. Can you just share with the audience the translation of Numatlu? Numatlu means to return to or revive in Chamorro and for this idea of zero waste living and this idea of indigenous sovereignty to return to and revive those ways of being more attuned with nature and being more um, conscientious of what we're, uh, what and how we're using our resources is definitely something that we want to promote and want to uplift and want to see in our communities. So um, New Motley Refillery is a great way for people to support this necessary movement to curbing that waste and lessening the amount of trash that's being sent to the landfill every day. Okay, so now we're going to be moving on to the group discussion portion. So throughout the web series, we talked to a few lawmakers such as Senator Clint Rigel and Senator Regine Biscoe-Lee. During this interview process, what was the best suggestion you've heard? Um, so yeah, this was during the first web series, uh, Christian and I were busy getting Precious Plastics up and running, so Manyaka and the girls um, helped to run that project. Since this se series was more about waste, um, 
me and Christian got more involved and I was lucky enough to go around to all of the interviews. Um, I think the best suggestion that we got was from Senator Clint Rogel, um, and he brought up taxing tourists, kind of like how Palau does. Palau charges a tourist tax of $100, and then that fee goes into a pool of money that is used to um, take care of the island's waste and whatnot. And I think that that would be, I, I thought that, that was the best suggestion, and I think that that would be a really effective way for us to address our waste. And also, I think that people are becoming more conscious. Uh, sustainability is a growing trend. So is zero waste. And I know me, as an avid traveler, I wouldn't mind paying that $100 to somewhere if I went to go visit, if I knew that it was going to go towards... Um, efforts like reducing waste and not and plus we get a lot of tourists from Asia who are very environmentally conscious and so I, I I don't think that they would mind at all I know granted during the pandemic is not the time to bring it up but I really hope that the senators put that on the table and, and seriously consider it because you know I am so sick and tired of seeing illegal dumping in the news I know a lot of other people are and it's really time that we buckle down and get serious and follow through with bills and suggestions like this. One of the other great suggestions that we that I saw, and this was from the other islands, is just this idea of of bans. So Senator Regine Biscoli talked a lot about the challenges of enacting the plastic bag ban that Guam has just been enacting since this past December 2020 and the challenge of getting that through the legislature and, and the people who came to testify against it. But then we've also learned at that same time that the Federated States of Micronesia completely banned single-use plastics into being imported into their islands, and they, they've created solutions around that with the products that Yap Ecoleaf um, provides their communities. So it's, it's really great to see the whole region moving in this direction and um, more policy level ideas to curb the waste is really important as well as all the community actions that need to complement that. So I think watching and working through this new project, it really opened up our eyes on our waste crisis, um, both at home and at work. So what have you guys been doing to you know, cut your waste and you know, trying to negate trash from your lifestyle? I, well, I'm not perfect. I just want to start there. Like, I am not a perfect 100% zero waste person, and I feel like the number one thing that you can do is alleviate yourself of that pressure. Because then if it's not something that you do willingly, joyfully, it's going to be harder and harder to adopt, to adopt as a habit. And so being gentle with myself is the first thing. The second thing that I do is I take the time to prepare when I leave my house. Like, that's the number one thing that you can do is as you prepare yourself to leave the house, it's like phone, wallet, keys. Those are your top three. And then the next thing is water. I always leave my house now with a water bottle of some kind. And it can even just be a plastic bottle that you bought the other day. Like, it doesn't have to be a fancy bottle either. Like, I also remove the idea that you need to be buying things to do this. Like, just be mindful of your resources and prepare yourself before you leave your house. I know it can be hard, but, like, plan out your shopping schedule, plan out where you're going to eat, plan out what you're going to bring with you, and it makes everything so much easier. Yeah, that's the, my one and two tips. Um, one thing that I feel like I'm really good about is bringing my bags to the store. I feel like mostly, well, I lived in California for a while where plastic bags have been banned um, for years now, so... 
I'm pretty much in the habit of doing that. My water bottle. Um, I'm trying to zero waste my bathroom and like try out different products and whatnot. I am having a little bit of trouble with that. I've just I've been going to different local stores and and stores online, just just trying to figure out what's good because sustainable products are different than the than store bought products. I have like three forks in my purse right now. <laughs> <laughs> All to cut, like, the plastic cutlery that I, I've been using. Um, y- yeah, I mean, it's not even, like, in its own container. It's really just, like, forks <laughs> in my purse. So, yeah, just trying to not use plastic forks and spoons is, is one step in the right direction. Um, I've also been on the tip of menstrual cups uh, for a few years now, and that's been a huge game changer for me in so far as feminine products go. Uh, but uh, yeah, like Cheska said, every every day is just about planning and being a lot more mindful. Uh, we also here at MCCA taught over a hundred kids how to make T-shirt bags, how to reuse old T-shirts and make bags. So it could be a low cost thing too. You don't have to be buying new things to be um, part of this low waste, zero waste journey. You could definitely be reusing existing products uh, to help you along that way yeah for me and my household like we're a pretty big family now especially that my sister and her kids are at the house so I see a lot of waste and maybe zero waste is you know sometimes difficult but not impossible so I guess we just try to give plastics like a second third or even a fourth life so something as simple as you know cleaning out and collecting all of your old plastic containers from like the butter or your ice cream and for and saving it for like balloon containers at a party yeah so I like I usually have a drawer open it up and I have the aunties just use those containers to bring it home um okay I was just remembering this so one thing I do is I have flushable cat litter for anybody out there who owns cats because that's a lot of waste um and then another thing I do a lot is meal prep I feel like meal prepping saves a lot of waste and just preparing out your meals and whatnot and I think another huge thing is buying less that was a that was something that I really had to be intentional about this year is just to stop buying things that I didn't need and also to stop accepting things that I didn't need because I love free stuff and I have a lot of military wife friends who are like PCSing and I want to take anytime I'm offered free things I will always accept it or like the thrift store or whatever cheap things dollar store and so yeah just buying less in general reduces waste. And I think also just being intentional when I am buying things. I am trying to do that. I'm obviously not perfect, but thinking about the life of that product and how long is it going to serve me and this and that. I stopped being an impulsive buyer. Yeah, so we talked about zero waste today, but how do you guys view zero waste in the future? Like what, what do you guys, what's the goal here? Gosh, um, the goal here is right now education. Uh, the series, we really wanted to focus on all of the different solutions, all of the different problems. Uh, and for the future, I really just want these habits to be ingrained in myself and in my family and in my circle. And it's just, I, these things can be second nature again, just like we think just going to the store without bags can be second nature, like forming new habits to the point where we don't have to think about them. Uh, that's my ultimate. Uh, and as far as like 
System-wide change, I think for the future, yes, taking more notes and applying that pressure in our political system, being more informed and activated consumers and community members, yeah, rather than just people who buy things and, and are the end of the pipeline, like we're empowered by and we shift the systems around us with our dollar, with our voice, with our political um, involvement, and we get our leaders to see that this is important to us. I think that would create the future that we want is engagement on all of those levels. So by yourself, in your family, in your community, and then eventually in the political system because that's like policy is just where, where the most effective things happen. And yeah, oh, independence. <laughs> independence and sovereignty. <laughs> I would love to see a more comprehensive recycling programs where you have bins for composting, for aluminum cans, um, more efficient recycling, and then a broader vision of that is to have um, renewable energy sources, um, to have um, yeah, every everything, to have renewable energy sources, to have cars that are running on electric, um, and and to have items that are compostable, reusable, recyclable, and no more of this just use and throw away culture that we have. Um, with people being more connected and concerned about the environment and each other too, because capitalism and, and um, consumerism have really disconnected us um, from our lands and from our waters and, and from each other. I'm really looking forward to as far as creating a zero waste future is just building off of these partnerships that we created from this project with, for example, the University of, of Guam um, Center for Island Sustainable, so I, uh, with the University of Guam Center for Island Sustainability. They are really moving the needle on sustainability in our island and so far as creating a maker space where people can be um, building off precious plastics work that we've done and, and creating things from waste. And they've also will be looking into more innovations. Uh, another island recycling innovator that partnered with us is Guahan Waste Control. And they're doing stuff around tires and around glass uh, and recycling those items on our island. And Peggy Denny, again, is a really great force and source of wisdom for us. And these sorts of partnerships and um, knowledge keepers have been all around us and I hope to see that we continue to impart that sort of wisdom and grow and cultivate the this industry of zero waste and this circular economy there's so much potential around turning our waste into wealth that we saw in our series and that we hope to carry through in our future projects like Numatlu. Well in the past you know we were introduced to non-biodegradable things like plates, spoons, and forks and I think for the future I want the community to be reintroduced to biodegradable things. One of the newest projects that we have with MCCA is teaming up with a team of weavers from Yap. So shout out to Cindy and Gloria out there, two of our homies, our weavers. And you know it's just really nice to see you know getting biodegradable items from around the island, tea leaves, flowers, and creating cool items like Marmars or flower crowns, lays, and it's just really nice to see, you know, the community coming together and but making that coin sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So thank you all for participating in this discussion. I think this is such a wonderful way for our team to get together and share our ideas about our project. And I really want to continue this conversation into the future on the One Canoe podcast, where we bring this wisdom and we bring in all the players in our community projects to talk about this. And to, just to round out this first episode, to talk about sustainability and our cultural practices, when our seafarers go off on their voyages, they bring everything mindfully and intentionally. They, it is a community effort to create all the food that is necessary. It's a community effort to weave the sail, to chop the trees down, to carve the canoe. Everything is made with intention, valued and used to the end of its life. And it's all about sustaining the life on this journey sustaining our lives on this journey. And I think that the wisdom that we can pull from that, from the canoe and put in, into our lives is to bring the value back into our human labor, the value back into our environmental resources, and remember that everything that we use is to sustain our lives and not just to like live out this buy, throw away, and forget about it culture. Everything is intentional. Everything has its use, has its life. And we honor that when we, when we move through life mindfully um, and remember how our resources are connected and the impact that our things that we use has on the people, the environment, and just ourselves at the end of the day. This waste crisis leaches into every aspect of our lives but in that negative way. So remembering the positivity around mindfulness and how far making those mindful decisions can go in impacting the, the future in a positive way. So thank you everyone for tuning in into our first episode of our One Canoe podcast, where we talk with the cast and crew of From Our Nanas For Our Nennies. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Micronesia Climate Alliance. Links can be found in our bio. Hope to see everyone in the next episode. Don't forget, if you have any questions about the climate crisis within our region, you can post it in the comments below. Esta.